Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. The source for today's episode is from Forensic Transmission, a public domain audio podcast. Background information is from NBC News and Murderpedia. Hi, crime fans. This is A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. Today's story is graphic. Now, before you turn it off and stop listening, just stick around for a few minutes while I explain myself. And if you don't like graphic depictions, I will have a bonus episode for you this week in my regular format. But this story has really bothered me since I first heard it. And I've seen a lot of coverage on this story. And a lot of it isn't what I consider respectful coverage for the victim and for their family. But you can't really tell this story without the details. And the details are best told from the killer in his confession himself. So I'm going to be playing a lot of that here. I cannot sugarcoat it. This is horrific and will haunt even the most seasoned of us true crime obsessed. So if you need to stop listening, and I'll tell you when to do that, I'm not going to hold it against you, but please check back in a few days for a bonus episode so you don't have to wait a whole other week for one that you can actually stomach. I went really back and forth on this story because in order to discuss it, you need the details. But the details feel just extremely exploitive in this case. One thing I noticed in the coverage that I did find was that the focus was on the gory details and little about the victim. The other thing with this story is that if, for those of you that are like me, a lot of your fascination with crime stories is how could someone do that and what goes through a person's mind? Well, Kevin Underwood lays it all out for you. So it's truly fascinating from that perspective. But again, 
what happened to Jamie Rose Bolin is something that true nightmares are made of. And I cannot stress enough how disturbing his confession is. So I promise you that I'm going to do my best to keep this case as respectfully told as I can while still providing the details. Anything that I think takes away from Jamie's dignity as a young woman, and I think that the family maybe doesn't already know, I have redacted. But the thought process of Kevin Underwood is intact, and at times he refers to actions and behaviors that are disturbing and graphic in their depictions. I'm going to walk you through his confession a little bit, because I think that you might like someone to kind of virtually hold your hand while you listen. So I'm here for you. The quality of the audio isn't great. I would have hoped for a little bit better, but I've tried to filter it a bit so that it's a little bit better. So I might have to clarify a few things as we go. This is the confession of Kevin Underwood and the murder of Jamie Rose Bolin from Purcell, Oklahoma. Jamie Rose Bolin was born August 7, 1995, to Curtis and Jennifer Bolin in Edmond, Oklahoma. She lived in Purcell for the, the year before she was killed, moving from Dipple, Oklahoma, where she had been raised. Her parents had separated and she was living with her dad in Purcell while her mom was a truck driver and away for long stretches sometimes, but was always really excited to see Jamie. And they had Easter plans together to do an egg hunt. So this was April of 2006, so it would have just been really close to that time that they were going to do their egg hunt. She was a precocious and outgoing child. She had red hair, blue eyes, a full face of adorable freckles. She wore glasses and always a big smile. She had a lot of friends and enjoyed riding her bike around the complex where she lived. She loved animals and loved to pose for pictures. She was in fifth grade at Purcell Intermediate School. She also enjoyed singing, riding four-wheelers, sewing, watching movies, and she was also a Girl Scout. Jamie's death literally destroyed her family. Kevin Underwood, who in photos doesn't look like a monster, was a lonely and bored loser that lived below Jamie and her dad in the same apartment complex. He had a go-nowhere job at Carl's Jr., very few friends, and the only ones he did have were mostly online. He spent his time playing video games and pretty much masturbating and thinking about all the sex that he wasn't getting in life. He was 27 at the time of his crime and his mom still did his laundry for him. He wrote a blog that no one read about his mundane and boring life. He was the opposite of Jamie Rose and where her life was only just beginning, his was at a standstill. Jamie was the kind of child that didn't notice that he was a loser. She just knew him as her neighbor that had a pet rat that she liked to play with and pet. Now just to give you a little background on this story, Jamie Rose was on her way to the library to meet some friends around 4 o'clock on the afternoon of April 12, 2006. She was going to take her bike. She was wearing shorts, a pink top, and flip-flops. She never made it to the library. And a search was started pretty much right away that evening by her distraught father. Two days later, on the 14th of April, the police had set up a checkpoint near the complex where they lived, and Kevin Underwood was stopped, and according to the cops, just wasn't acting right. I think he was taken back 
and questioned briefly and they got a warrant to go search his apartment right away and as soon as they got to his apartment he was basically like that's it I'm done I, I did it you'll find her in the closet he uh, confessed to it pretty much right away for the killing little Jamie Rose so today's episode deals with extreme violence of a sexual and graphic nature to a child listener discretion cannot be stressed enough here is where you're going to want to turn it off if you haven't already this story details dismemberment i was discussing murder with my friends a while ago as we do and we all agreed that the the murder part is hard enough to understand the mindset of but the dismembering is a whole other type of it's almost like a different type of murder. Murder isn't just murder in today's world anymore. There are so many varying degrees of murder. And this is the absolute extreme. I'm going to start by playing the initial part of his confession where he discusses what his plan was and how this all started for him. Awesome thing. Um, yeah, we, we were definitely surprised. We were shocked. About our discovery with you, and it was a complete surprise to both of us. But we think you know, I think at some point you realized you had to do the right thing and tell, tell what happened. And uh, why don't you go right back from the very start? When did, when did this kind of thought first occur to you? Maybe do something like this? A couple of months, probably. Uh, you know, I was telling one of the guys earlier that. You know, I don't know if it has anything to do with medication. It's not your medication, Kevin. He's talking about Esaltalopram or the brand name Lexapro, and it can cause acute psychosis in a very few patients, but most of those patients are women, like I think 83% of them, and psychosis is a break from reality. So somebody suffering from acute psychosis wouldn't be able to string together sentences with the rationale like he is doing. So again, it's not the medication, Kevin. Because it started about the same time I went back on it. Now the first time you were on it, did you have that problem? Yeah, I, the first time I took the medication a year or two ago, it uh, seemed fine, but uh, then uh, a month and a half ago, I got back on it again, and yeah, ever since I started taking it again, I've just been like, eating constantly, just from the minute I get home to the minute I go to sleep, and usually I eat, I gained probably 20, 30 pounds in the last month, and about the same time, I just seemed like started having all these you know, weird fantasies and everything. When is that the first time in your life, I, and, and we understand this, yeah. I mean, it's, what, what you experience is nothing some people that fantasize, you know, about different things that, for instance, one guy might fantasize being with three different women, and that's kind of what turns him on. And some people, their fantasies may go a little more violent. You know, some people, they might fantasize about handcuffing somebody and having sex. And it maybe progresses a little bit, but when do you first think you start having, you know, fantasies of this nature? Was it as a teenager that the chances? Yeah, it was all can you describe what your fantasy is for us, for the record? Well, it started off as uh, cannibalism. Yes, he did say cannibalism. Uh, you know, just the uh, 
I wanted to, you know, know what, what it tasted like. Just the thought of uh, eating, you know, someone, just, you know, was appealing to me. But then, uh, you know, it kept kind of evolving from there because uh, I am, you know, sexually frustrated. I haven't had sex in four years. Lots of people have had dry spells when it comes to sex. Sexual frustration doesn't normally lead to cannibalism and sexual violence. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I live here in St. Louis, but like in my office, I have things in a certain way. I mean, I put things in a certain place. Are, are you a planner? Are you a guy that likes to plan? Not really. Okay. Yeah, I certainly plan this out. I mean, I've been thinking about it for at least a month. Now, it wasn't specifically the girl in question, or what? Well, I told the guy earlier, couldn't really than anyone. I mean, age and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, pedophile thing either. I mean, age and even gender didn't even really matter to me. I just, uh, at first I just wanted to basically to uh, eat someone, and then it turned into, while I'm at it, I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, get off, you know, have sex with them, you know. Were you going to have sex before or after, or both? Uh, well, my, my plan, my original plan, uh, the way I had envisioned it all going was I was going to just uh, like grab them and I stand first. Yeah, just, uh, well, I did kind of favor this girl a little. I'd seen her and I was like, you know, I, I was kind of like, well, I'd really like her. But then as I saw her more and more, I, you know, I think, no, I can't hurt her. You know, she's nice and I know her too well. Tell us the plan that you came up with in your head. Now, going back to um, the plan, you, uh, yeah, so, you had the handcuffs and the duct tape. Yeah, so what I was going to do is I was going to, uh, you know, like I said, yank him in there, restrain him, and if, if it was a kid, I was going to just make them sit there and watch some porn. And then I was going to have sex with them. And then... You were trying to make it, turn them all the porn, make it voluntary. I was... You know, kind of hoping that would happen, but I, you know, figured it probably wouldn't. So you said that you would have to do it by force. Yeah, most most likely. And then, you know, the uh, after the sex, it would turn kind of violent. I'd start to kind of torture him a little and stuff like that. Uh, How would you torture him? Uh, in your fantasies, what would you do? Sticking large objects in their anus, uh, causing them pain that way. I had some uh, 
long barbecue skewers I bought. I was going to poke through their cheeks. I've got a uh, in that bag of porn. There's also a Barbie doll head I found on the ground a while back that I stuck some needles in. Kind of illustrates what was in my fantasy. It had like some needles in its cheeks and some nails in its eyes, but I wasn't intending on doing that because I. The, 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 the uh, torture was kind of a late addition because at first I wanted the body to be pretty much unharmed because uh, what I was going to do after that then was I was going to, uh, while they were still alive and gagged, I was going to uh, drape them over the bathtub and cut off their head and uh, then hang them there and let the body all drain out so good and drained out and I was going to keep the body around for a couple of days. I was going to Set the head on my desk so it could like watch me, and you know keep the corpse in my bed, sleeping with it, having sex with it for a day or two, and then I was going to start butchering them, and cooking them. So, okay. did you buy any pots or any special things for that? Just the barbecue ske- skewers and some meat tenderizer powder, and a uh, hacksaw to cut open the head to get to the brain because I wanted to eat the brain and heart and some of the organs. Uh, it's, it's been my experience that a lot of people who like or think about those kind of things maybe experiment with animals. Have you ever experimented with animals? No, uh, I told the guy earlier, in fact, you know, this, like I said, this is just entirely against my nature. And if, you know, I told him I'm not really religious, but what beliefs I do have would be uh, pretty much best described as Buddhist. I'll pause here and let that soak in. A Buddhist murderer. He's not even fully aware of how ridiculous he sounds. I hated, I I didn't even like stepping on bugs. You know, I didn't believe in violence or anything until this happened. Now, after after you chopped the head off and maybe cooked them, what what would you, could you continue on from there? Uh, Well, uh, then it went into, you know, disposing of He carries on here to discuss how he would dispose of the body, but I'm not going to play that part because, for one thing, things don't go as planned for him, which is in some ways good, but unfortunately some of his plan does play out. I was probably going to keep the skull. Uh, You know, then, then, well, that was my original plan. That's what I wanted to do, but started sniffing around, like, uh, asking. Because they won't move. Yeah, well... The cannibalism thing started uh, probably a year or so ago. So the, the, the deal with cannibalism may have been a, a zombie, okay, but... Yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't something I was... I mean, you know, I was kind of interested in, you know, kind of curious as to what it would taste like, and, uh, you know, it kind of aroused me, and I, you know, kind of masturbated to some of the pictures, because I mean, there was this website out there, I don't even remember what it is now, where you download lots of, you know, like, fake computer graphic images of, like, women on spits, and and then here recently after that, I started, you know, like, kind of seriously think about it, and, uh, you know, develop an interest in these pictures of real death and cannibalism. Have you ever read gore and gruesome things? Have you ever read um, psychology books or internet sites? And just out of curiosity, reading about people with like interests, or to say, hey, you know, somebody like me who, unlike wise people, who would get sexual gratifications out, of, you know, out of possible cannibalism or, or viewing women on spits or things. Well, like that, that. that site, yeah, that I downloaded like all the fake pictures from, it was it was a message board mostly, and picture, uh, 
you know, it was mostly text, but people would, uh, it's like here, you know, here's this picture I made with my computer. And uh, it was, you know, it, so it was all like people with the same interests. And, you know, pretty much probably 95% of them, uh, from what they said on there anyway, were in the same mindset as me. You know, I would never do this, but it's fun to fantasize about it. It's a fun yeah. fantasy. I, you know, I had pretty much planned all along to probably get a kid, just mainly because he'd be easier to grab and easier to get rid of afterwards, smaller, and, you know, put up less of a fight, but... Now, when did you come up with Wednesday would be the day? Basically, the incident had happened. I mean, I said, there had been, there was plenty of times before that I could have grabbed her if I wanted, or grabbed some other kid, but especially Erica's... Uh, like I say, she got to where she talked to me, and she'd actually been in my apartment a couple of times before that. Uh, she, well, she'd come down, because like one time I was standing out there with my pet rat, holding it and had it on my shoulder. And, you know, she thought it was cute, and she wanted to pet it. But yeah, she was a very trusting kid. If it hadn't been me, it could have ended up being someone else. Cause, probably not, because you know, another thing that kept it from happening so long is, you know, I'd be standing there in the doorway, fantasizing about it, you know, preparing to grab a kid. And I'd get so turned on, I'd end up masturbating. And, you know, like as soon as I had an orgasm, it's I, I, the word. Yeah, I'd just be hit with disgust and be like, my God, what am I thinking about? You know, it's... Anyway, she came downstairs and was still, you know, she's like, oh, there's nothing, when it's this hot, nothing good, like a good, you know, ice glass of ice milk. And uh, she, you know, kind of chatted for a minute and then asked to come inside and see my rat again. And, she just sat there on the floor uh, looking at my rat, and uh, about the only TV I ever watch is cartoons, Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, and Spongebob was on, and so she was kind of sitting there watching that, and we were talking about the show a little, and she was in my apartment probably a good 15 minutes, and uh, after she'd been in there a few minutes, you know, when she first came in, I was like, oh, that was my chance, but, you know, then I had to say, no, I can't do it, and I just kind of struggled with myself the whole time she was in there. And, uh, it was a struggle between right and wrong. And, uh, well, or kind of, yeah, both that and, you know, not wanting to get caught. But. And herein lies what happened to little Jamie Rose and the thoughts of Kevin's twisted mind as he takes the sweet and innocent life of a child and ending her story before it even had a chance to begin. You know, it was more of the, the uh, you know, kind of regrets and fears, and I was like, you know, I better just knock her out, you know, knock her out, and, you know, then restrain her while she's unconscious. Kind of, you know, fighting with myself. I, I grabbed the, uh, I, you know, reached out there once and grabbed the uh, cutting board, and, you know, you know, I put it down on the couch. I couldn't do it. And so for like five minutes, I just stood there, you know, going back and forth, picking it up, putting it back down, and saying, you know, and finally, I was just, you know, look, either do it or tell her to get the hell out of the apartment, you know. He had a choice. He admits he had a choice. He had a million other choices here. Uh, and finally, I did it. And, you know, as soon as I hit her. What did she say when you hit her? That's something that's, you know, haunted me ever since it happened, uh, I struggled with leaving this part in. In the next 90 seconds, he describes with very little emotion the last moments of Jamie's life. 
and I'll tell you, she's a feisty little fighter. And there are some moments that I had to edit out because it was just too much for even me to listen to. So you might want to skip forward about 90 seconds. She's so yelling, I'm sorry. Which, you know, I'm just like, you know, what is she sorry for? She didn't do anything wrong. She was, I couldn't believe how strong she was. I barely held her down. Uh, I didn't want to show her because, like I said, I wanted the body to be pretty much perfect. It took me probably 15, 20 minutes to kill her. Uh, Did you feel aroused at that point? Very. Yeah, by the time I, by the time uh, I got done killing her, uh, you know, my underwear was soaked. You know, when you get aroused, it'll start, you know, kind of leaking a little. pre ejaculation yeah, it was, uh, I was, my underwear was pretty much soaked by the time she, uh, well, even before she was completely dead. So, are you telling me you were sexually gratified during this struggle? Pretty much, yeah. Did you have more gas? I didn't, was it just? I, I didn't worry about orgasm, but I was, you know, very, very aroused. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just standing there behind her, debating on killing her or not, you know, starting an interaction. There's a toolbox sitting there by the edge of the, uh, love seat. And, you know, that was kind of in, like, her last moment, she just started, started kind of reaching around, grabbing things, and she, like, opened that toolbox. And then she pretty much went limp, and finally was pretty sure she was dead jumped up and grabbed the duct tape and put it over her mouth and nose because I was getting tired. My arms were getting sore from clamping down on her for so, so you long. Get, I was you know, probably sealing her lips. That yeah. way you wouldn't have to hold her anymore. Yeah. You could ensure it was gone. Yeah, I just made sure she didn't start breathing again this time. Okay. And uh, then, you know, once I got her taped up, I drug her into the bedroom so I could open the front door and wheel her bike in. I never, like I said, I never actually... This part has also been edited a bit because to leave it in would just take away some of Jamie's dignity and I just didn't want her family to ever, ever come across it. Yeah, she was laying there in the bedroom and I stripped her clothes off of her. Where'd you put the clothes? After you took them off? At that time I just threw them on the floor and, but I took her clothes off and my plan had always been to behead them while they were alive was, you know, so the blood coagulate and I could get all the blood out uh, like you would when you go to your nail. Uh, I'm going to let the rest of his confession play out uninterrupted. What I would like to just remind you all of, if it helps, the spirit of who Jamie was and her experience in life is already gone at this point. So if that helps, it's it's her body that he's discussing and not the little girl that bounced into his apartment to play with his pet rat. I don't know if that will help any of you through that or not. And, you know, that way, so both of me would be bloody. And so when I put her in my bed, hopefully she wouldn't leak any blood out of the bed and stuff. And so I was like, well... It's a lot closer, and I don't want, you know, she's already been dead maybe 15, 10, 15 minutes, and so I don't want the blood to get all coagulated, so I'm just going to go ahead and drag her into the tub and behead her and then have sex with her body. And I got her in there, drank her over the side of the tub, which, and got a big knife. It's in a, it wasn't a butcher knife. It's a, one of the knives in my collections propped her over the tub, you know, over the, she was out of the tub, with, you know, just like her head, you know, over the edge, hanging into the tub. And I, you know, kind of got there. I 
put a rubber band in her hair so it would be out of the way. Because I didn't even want to, uh, like I said, I wanted the body perfect and clean. I didn't want to get blood all in her hair, so I'd have to wash it and everything. And uh, so I started sawing at her neck. I, said, I couldn't believe the amount of blood that came out of a girl that small. And it was already all clotted and everything. You know, pretty much hard to get to go where I wanted it. And like I said, it was already all dark and clotted and gross looking anyway. So, yeah, most of it was just going down the tub. I had the water running and it still almost clogged the drain. It was so clotted already. I was afraid it'd like back the pipes up or something, back up into other people's apartment or something. But, you know, they'd know something was going on when they, you know, then they'd, you know, God, I guess, to her spine. And I, just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and could not get it lasted. I was pretty much exhausted by it. And like I said, you know, as soon as I hit her, you know, I wished I hadn't started this, but you know, as soon as I hit it the first time, I was like, well, now it's too late. I can't stop now. Yeah. I mean, that was the only reason I even went through with any of it. And then, like I said, you know, I was disgusted at first, but then once I, uh, but so at this point, yeah, I was just disgusted. I was like, God, this mess. And because I didn't even keep the blood in the tub, it was running down her and right down inside the tub into the floor. And you know, I was like, you know, at this point, I'm just clean up this mess and get the body out of here. I'm not even going to have sex with her. Because I was already pretty upset. You know, I can't believe I did this. Wish I hadn't did it. You know, wish I could take it back. Right. Yeah, that was, I had bought that. Uh, big Rubbermaid container she's in. I bought that specifically for this too, but I think it was like a 50 liter big gray, you know, Rubbermaid container, like storage container with a, you know, lid on it. Where did you buy it? I bought it for the purpose of, because like I said, I wanted to keep the body around for a couple of days, but I wanted to still be able to eat it when I was done, so I didn't want it to go bad. I was going to, you know, half-beheaded corpse was sitting there in the you know, sitting up propped against the tub, draining, because, so I wanted to try to get rid of the body, but they were still bleeding too much, and the uh, stomach contents were pouring out of the neck, and uh, so I was like, well, I'm going to let it sit here for a few hours and coagulate some more, so maybe I can move it without it bleeding everywhere so much, so I just kind of went about my business with this, I closed the door, because, you know, the bathroom, because like I said, I was sick, you know, sick to my stomach that I'm doing this, I didn't even want to, you know, see the corpse. And, uh, I just kind of closed it up in the bathroom with some, uh, incense burning to cover up the vomit smell from going up the, uh, uh, you know, air vent, because, you know, I, 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 I vomit where she was coming out. Yeah, some of the contents were leaking out of the neck when I tried to move her. Because, uh, you know, I can often smell things coming from other people's apartments when they're cooking something strong, and, I didn't want people to smell the blood and vomit, so I put some uh, strong incense burning in there and closed all the doors. And, uh, yeah, I just sat there at the computer for a couple hours, you know, talking to her. I wasn't talking much because, you know, I was feeling really sick and, you know, really bad. But, I mean, I was literally physically sick, mainly, for, I mean, partially from what I did and partially I was, you know, wore out and sweating and hot from the exertion. And I don't do well in warm temperatures. It's... Just sitting there in that, that was part of what was making me sick, sitting back there in that office, because it was, even in here is too hot for me. It feels pretty good in here, but, but I was also occasionally stepping outside, you know, helping them look for the girl, stuff like that, kind of setting it up out an alibi there. When I was all concerned about her missing. What did you first notice they were looking for? Pretty much 
pretty much right after I killed her, I looked out and I noticed the uh, dad got home a little early, it seemed like. He was home before five, I think. And I was probably about five or so, I noticed him out there. Uh, started to walk around and get in his truck and drive around. And then, you know, I went out there one of the times specifically so he could ask me, have you seen her? And I could say no. And so he did. And I was like, uh, well, anyway, I told her, told him, you know, the story of the, whole, the last time I saw her. I saw her come home from school. She went upstairs, came back down, got on her bike, rode off. That's the last time I saw her. And then finally, yeah, about eight, eight o'clock or so, I, you know, I told him, so I, well, I, you know, I'd like to stay out here and help, but I've got to get back to bed because i got to, you know, work early in the morning. Wash the tub out, wash the floor, scrub the floor. You get the body in the tub. Did you have to cut limbs off? Or... You know, she's... Not cut up at all, except for the neck. So you just basically acted her body. Yeah, and by that time, that was the reason I had such a hard time getting her into that, is because by that time she was already stiff, and she had been in like a kneeling position on the tub, so her legs were like all bent up like this. And, you know, I couldn't get her knees to go down far enough to get the lid on. That was the main reason it was taped on at first, because it wouldn't go down far enough to snap on. So she was still making a huge mess. So I got a tarp I had also bought for this purpose, but oh, I don't think. About the same time I bought the tub, the container, and so I bought it for that. But then when I went to move her, I was like, you know, I can't even move her. She's so heavy. Uh, so I'm gonna try to flop her over onto this tarp, and maybe I can slide the tarp around a little better. Got her in some trash bags as good as I could. That red towel's on the bottom of the tub to soak up any blood or anything. Because uh, at first I figured I'd stuff the body somewhere, wash the tub out, bring it back. Then at the end, I was like, no, I don't even want to open the tub and look at this body again. I'm just going to drag the tub out to a field and set it on fire. Because I've been part of the plan all along. If somehow I wasn't able to eat them and there was a body left over, you know, here until just a week or two ago, you know, we were having like a really bad drought. And, you know, the fires were just breaking out all over. So I'm just going to drag her out to a field and set it on fire. And you have a big fire. Yeah, fire had burned most of the remains and, and you know, kind of destroyed any like hairs and DNA evidence I left in the field, hopefully. And so anyway, I got her into those bags, finally got her into the tub, but couldn't get her knees in there. I finally was able to maneuver a little in there to get the lid at least halfway on and I taped it down. In the remaining minutes, Kevin details how he dismantles Jamie's bike and hides the frame in pieces under his bed. A jury convicted Kevin Underwood of first-degree murder after 23 minutes of deliberation. He was sentenced to death. At the time of this podcast, he is still on death row at Oklahoma State Penitentiary in McAllister. Jamie's body was found hidden in a plastic tub in Underwood's closet. I I just don't really have any closing words for this. This is what murder looks like, up close and, and personal. So for those of you that made it to this end, thank you for listening and for understanding why I had to share this story like this. I'll be back next week. Try to shake this one off before then. Thanks, everyone.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.